Hello, and welcome to Rounds with Relias, the podcast for healthcare professionals. I'm your host, Jesse Safran. Today's topic is one that has become increasingly important in recent years, and that is emergency department management of patients with psychiatric needs. In the last decade, EDs have seen a 55% increase in psychiatric patients and more than a 400% increase in patients with suicidal ideation. When EDs aren't prepared to handle these patients, results are predictable. Quality of care declines, costs increase significantly, and hospitals open themselves up to legal liability and regulatory compliance issues. To help us learn more about how hospitals can avoid such problems, we are joined today by Dr. Scott Zeller, Vice President for Acute Psychiatry at Vituity, a physician-owned company that helps healthcare organizations improve their performance. Dr. Zeller is the former Chief of Psychiatric Emergency Services at the Alameda Health System in Oakland, California. He has earned numerous accolades in his more than 30 years of practice, and in 2015, he was named the U.S. Doctor of the Year by the National Council on Behavioral Health. Dr. Zeller, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm curious, why do you think there's been such a dramatic increase in psychiatric patients presenting in emergency departments? Well, that's a great question, uh, and I don't know that anybody's got a real definitive answer. I think um, one of the things that we found happening is that there's been a real emphasis on uh, reducing the lengths of stay in hospital beds while there's been, a, a, uh, at the same time, a dramatic de- decrease in the number of psychiatric facilities and psychiatric beds around the nation. Uh, while at the same time, uh, a lot of uh, psychiatric outpatient providers are fully booked at all times. So anybody who's really having an acute need doesn't have a lot of other options besides the emergency room. In fact, if you call up your uh, outpatient provider, chances are very good you're going to get a voicemail that says, if you're having a psychiatric emergency, hang up and go to the nearest emergency room. In terms of the day-to-day operations of emergency departments, what factors lead to less than ideal care for psychiatric patients? And perhaps more important, in what ways are such patients negatively affected? Well, you know, ERs are great places for what they're really intended for. If you're coming in with chest pain or you have been in a car accident or any other kind of trauma or urgent kind of setup, uh, that, that's really the way they were designed to really help people with more traditional medical uh, issues. And they're not really well designed for people having a psychiatric emergency who might be very despondent, very paranoid, hallucinating, what have you, uh, and really would benefit more by a very kind of a calming place where they feel relaxed and not crowded or cramped. And that's kind of the opposite of the emergency department, which is everything's very close together. There's a lot of emergency personnel running uh, to and fro. You've got lights and sirens and strange-looking things and needles and knives all everywhere, and it really can be quite disruptive to, uh, to patients having a psychiatric crisis. Uh, in fact, a lot of times we will say that a, an ER can actually make patients worse just because of things kind of beyond their control, just the way that they're, they're set up and designed. Uh, so what we can see is that people coming in seeking help will, will find it very difficult to uh, have their level of uh, anxiety or stress reduced, um, they're, they have a difficult time asking people questions or whatever because people are always being called away in different directions. And so that can be quite disruptive for them and, and as I said, actually exacerbate their symptoms. Can you talk for a little bit about the financial costs and potential legal liability that EDs face when they are ill-prepared to deal with these patients? Yeah, absolutely. So just from a, from a, a, a startup standpoint, uh, you know, 
federal EMTALA laws, and for people who are uh, unfamiliar with EMTALA, basically the laws that say if somebody comes to the emergency department, that that emergency department has to evaluate them regardless of ability to pay, uh, and they have to determine whether or not an emergency medical condition uh, exists. And according to the federal guidelines, psychiatric emergencies, especially ones where patients are dangerous, this, dangerous to themselves or others, are medical emergencies, same as car accidents and gunshot wounds. Uh, so facilities need to evaluate and treat to the best of their capacity and capability patients with psychiatric emergencies just as they would any other kind of emergency condition coming to those emergency departments. But as I said, unfortunately, uh, you know, these uh, programs typically are not well set up for people having a psychiatric crisis, uh, and this can lead to a lot of uh, issues. Um, probably the biggest one is we've got this dramatic increase in the number of patients coming to ERs with psychiatric chief complaints, going from what was about 4% just a decade or two ago to now, uh, like one in the current estimates are about one in every eight patients coming to ERs are there for behavioral health reasons. Uh, that's not even counting the people who may have a, uh, a coexisting mental health uh, problem and are there in the ER for something else. These are people who just come there because of a behavioral health emergency are, are about uh, one in every eight patients. And uh, at the same time, like I, I mentioned, there, there's many fewer inpatient psychiatric beds. Um, when you only had a small percentage of people coming who were there for behavioral health reasons and you had ample inpatient psychiatric beds, there evolved a kind of default treatment for folks, which was if you've got acute psychiatric symptoms, we are going to keep you here in the ER until we can get you to an inpatient psychiatric hospital bed. Uh, and typically that didn't take all that long, so it was a, a well-established plan of action for the majority of folks who would come into the emergency department. Well, when you've had a reduction in the number of inpatient beds and a great increase in the number of people coming for services, all of a sudden that default treatment doesn't work quite so well anymore. In fact, what you have is uh, a, a lot of people backing up, waiting for those inpatient beds. And sometimes that delay uh, can go on for quite a while, sometimes hours, sometimes days, in some cases even uh, a week or more. Uh, this, this is uh, something that's known as boarding. And uh, it, unfortunately, uh, you know, there's been several studies showing that the majority of hospitals in the country in their emergency departments are now boarding psychiatric patients on a regular basis, some every single day of the week. Uh, that's obviously causing a problem for the psychiatric patients who are facing unnecessary delays. A lot of times these emergency departments don't have anything really to offer them in terms of treatments or interventions, just really a place to be until they can get them transferred to those psychiatric facilities. And at the other end, uh, these folks are taking up beds. They're not getting any help, but other people who might be able to utilize those beds are stuck in the waiting room of the emergency department and they can't get in because the emergency department's only got so many beds and they aren't able to move people in because some of those beds are filled up with psychiatric patients. So there's the uh, there's so one of the major problems about uh, what's happening with them. There's obviously liability issues because you're certainly not going to just discharge somebody inappropriately because you need the space. Um, there would be you know substantial liability for that. 
Uh, there's also financial uh, liability that comes into this. A estimate uh, from about five years ago said that uh, the average psychiatric patient boarding in an emergency department, after everything else has been done, the evaluation and any interventions they would have done, and this is, and then it's just the person sitting there waiting for either a psychiatric disposition or transfer, uh, that's costing the ER about $2,300 per patient. So you can imagine that that's a, a big load onto the hospitals as well. They're not really helping anybody, and it's costing them tons and tons and tons of money uh, for not doing anything. So you can imagine uh, those are, those are uh, kind of uh, problems that are loggerheads with each other. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications, such as ED Legal Letter, and obtain CME or CE credits. Given these issues, what are some changes that hospitals can make to improve their handling of patients who need psychiatric help? Is it a matter of having more resources, or is it more about using existing resources in a smarter way? Uh, well, it actually can be a little of both, um, and it kind of depends on what the numbers of psychiatric patients are coming to your uh, facility, but there's a number of different options. Um, first of all, I think this is something that we just need to do on a national basis, and that is we have to change the paradigm that we've had for so long that if you come to the ER with acute psychiatric symptoms, we're going to find you an inpatient bed. Because, you know, if you came to the, uh, if you came to the ER with an asthma attack and you're having difficulty breathing, they don't sit you down in a chair in a back room and say, we're going to find you an asthma hospital to transfer to. You sit tight and we'll take care of you. Hopefully we'll get you there within a day or so. Or if you came to the hospital with chest pain, they, they don't say, well, gee, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, if we can find a psychiatric hospital for you. Because if we did that with chest pain patients, for example, right now we'd be talking about the nationwide shortage of medical surgical beds. Because as it is, we're only admitting about 15 to 18% of chest pain patients to inpatient units. We can take the same approach with psychiatric emergencies as we do with every other medical emergency that comes to the ER. That is, let's assess the patients and let's initiate treatment uh, where indicated and see how people respond to treatment before making a decision that they need to be hospitalized. If we do that, we're going to really change the dynamic uh, in incredible ways. One of the, uh, the main things that we found from our research is that the great majority of psychiatric emergencies will resolve in less than 24 hours if you assess and initiate treatment at that emergency level of care. So how would you do that? And you know, what can you do in a smaller ER that maybe you are only seeing uh, you know, a handful of patients with psychiatric emergencies per week? Well, perhaps there we can just start uh, with training the emergency medicine docs with some additional uh, information about how to work with psychiatric emergency patients. Maybe give them uh, medication guidelines or medication uh, algorithms that they can follow based on the symptomatology that people are having. Tell them to go ahead and start these treatments and while they're considering all their disposition options, see how they do. A lot of our psychiatric medications can work pretty quickly. And you know, not just uh, for things like hallucinations and acute psychosis, 
but we can see people having dangerous thoughts that get reduced with time. We can see people who maybe had suicidal ideation, that that can dissipate with some changes in external pressures or uh, sobriety, for example. Uh, we, we, can, we can see that uh, anytime we give somebody a little bit of treatment and, and follow a plan of reevaluation rather than just deciding on a disposition up front and we're locked into that, that we're going to have many more options to find alternatives to hospitalization for these folks. And then that's going to leave more beds available for the people that really have no alternative. So that's what we can do at all hospitals, but especially at those who may not uh, be seeing enough patients to talk about adding some additional resources. The next thing we would do would probably be for the, the moderately busy sites as we can talk about adding something that's called on-demand emergency telepsychiatry. And this is uh, telemedicine, uh, video conferencing that will have a board certified emergency trained psychiatrist seeing patients within minutes uh, of a request for a consult. And how that works is um, you can contract with a company that, that does these, and there's a, there's a bunch of them that are all around the nation at this point. It's a really been a, a burgeoning industry. And these doctors uh, will work in a uh, on-demand per-click basis, so it's pretty cost-effective. And a, an emergency department would just put in a request for a psychiatrist and kind of set up a computer screen in front of the patient and the time will be scheduled hopefully within an hour after uh, the patient's request is made. Before you know it, there they are doing a face-to-face -face eval. And one of the nice things about psychiatry is that, uh, you know, we don't do a lot of hands-on in, in our psychiatric evaluation. So it's really a natural uh, means of, of uh, being able to work with patients face-to-face uh, it, it translates well to being done over a computer screen or a video screen, which is really quite nice. Uh, the patient satisfaction with uh, doing telemedicine for psychiatric evaluations is actually remarkably high. In this day and age, uh, just about everybody's used to talking on computers or cell phones anyway, face-to-face, uh, -face. So, so it's not that scary or, or unusual for people. People don't suddenly freak out and go, oh my God, the television's talking to me. It's, you know, everybody's pretty used to it at this point. And in fact, some patients even find it to be a bit more comfortable. They're so used to talking to people on, on phone screens that uh, talking to a doctor uh, that's a little bit of distance might even feel a bit more comfortable. You can be a bit more forthcoming because you're not gonna run into them at the coffee truck a little bit later that afternoon. Uh, and perhaps you can be a little bit uh, less worried about what you're telling somebody and a little bit more willing to engage in, in uh, diagnostic work. Um, right. So these are, these are uh, like I said, available all around the country, and this will actually increase the ability to discharge patients by 50% or more based on the site you have. The other thing that these docs can do is recommend specific targeted treatment for patients with a treatment plan saying like, start a medication, see how they do. If two hours from now they're doing this, plan on this, so on and so forth. You get really, really tremendous outcomes based on that as well. And then the third thing that we would talk about, and this would be for places that are a bit busier uh, than what a um, emergency telepsychiatry could, uh, could have. Oh, and if, if I can go back real quickly on the telepsychiatry, one reason that it makes so much sense is there's only 28,000 psychiatrists in the entire USA. 
and probably the majority of them don't even work with acute patients or in emergency settings. So how do you get uh, enough psychiatrists to be seeing patients at all these different ERs around the USA? The best way to do it is not to have them drive site to site or pay for one to be on site for 12 hours a day, but to be able to judiciously use them where one doctor can be seeing patients at multiple hospitals by using the telepsychiatry on-demand plan. So I think that's, that's something that uh, people should understand as well. So the, then the third option for those sites that, that might be busier than uh, a single telepsychiatry uh, setup might be able to handle, uh, we would recommend specific psychiatric ERs uh, or a specific section of the ER that's just for psychiatric patients. Uh, and the model we like best and recommend the most is called the EMPATH unit. And EMPATH, E-M-P-A-T-H, stands for Emergency Psychiatry Assessment, Treatment, and Healing Unit. And what these are, specific set-aside environments specifically for people having a psychiatric emergency that are much more conducive to uh, allowing the people to, to relax and, and, and really focus on uh, their illness, and people tend to respond dramatically in these units. You get terrific outcomes. And, and much less uh, bad side things such as aggressiveness or violence. Uh, what these are is much more home-like, comfortable settings that uh, instead of uh, you know, typical ER where somebody would be in a small, uh, small room or between a couple curtains with a security guard or sitter where they're not allowed to really leave the gurney or sometimes they're even strapped to a gurney, these instead are, are large rooms where every patient instead would have a very comfortable recliner chair and they're free to get up and move around as they wish. There's a place they can go and get something to eat or drink. They can watch television, they can read. Small informal groups are being set up by the staff around. There's uh, people who work there who are known as peer support specialists who are people who have mental illness histories and have taken special training and now work in a method kind of along the lines of a sponsor, an AA, which is, hey, you're going through a tough time. I've been through it too. I'm here to help you. We're going to get you through this together. And these programs also rely on the concept that a patient's going to be seen as quickly as possible by a psychiatrist or, or a psychiatric provider, get treatment started as quickly as possible, and then be constantly reevaluated uh, to see how they're responding to the treatment and, and hopefully find alternatives to hospitalization when appropriate. Uh, because of this comfortable setting, it, what's amazing is that the need for coercion drops to almost zero. You, you almost never have to use forcible medications. Almost no patients ever need to be put into physical restraints when those are quite common in a more typical emergency department. And the other nice thing about this is that we've shown in these types of units that Typically, between 70 and 80% of the people respond so well that they are able to be discharged in less than 24 hours. And so it's a really nice uh, result for everybody uh, because they're getting much more prompt treatment, where they're getting out of that ER into a much more appropriate setting, and, and we're able to find uh, alternatives for folks that are not being locked into a hospital inpatient unit. What our goal is in emergency psychiatry and in an empath unit is to turn an emergency patient into an outpatient, and I think these units do a real nice job of, of that. Can you please tell our listeners about the Institute for Healthcare Improvements ED and UP initiative, which you're collaborating on? Yeah, that's a really neat project that uh, is 
being sponsored by an organization called the Wellbeing Trust in collaboration with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And it is an 18-month project where we're working together with nine hospitals from around the United States to improve the treatment of psychiatric patients in ERs and also find ways to uh, reduce recidivism of patients, to have better outcomes, um, and just really improve everything from the time people are heading to the ER to several weeks after they've left. And so several of the things that we are already discussing about improved education for ED staff and use of telepsychiatry and, and creation of observation units or empath units are, are part of the project. But we're also looking at uh, you know, ways that we can help people get better plugged into community services when they're being discharged from emergency levels of care. We're looking at ways that we can inform patients, families, caregivers about other possibilities uh, besides going to the ER, because sometimes the ER might be the appropriate destination if somebody's having a true psychiatric emergency, but if somebody has other needs that maybe aren't quite as acute, perhaps there's some other options in the community that we can encourage people to check out first. So that's where the upstream part comes in, that we might be able to find some alternatives that are upstream prior to arriving in the ED. Once they arrive in the ED, we've already discussed a bit of the different ways we can improve that level of care. And then when people are leaving, let's make sure that they've got a real good follow-up plan, that we're connecting them with outpatient providers. We're providing them with resources to hopefully prevent the need for them to get into an emergency condition again. And we're also even showing that if you do follow-up calls from the emergency department or from the emergency setting to contact uh, the individuals who have been in there and see if they need anything more, if there's more services or connections we can help make, uh, uh, make for them, that, that those uh, will also help reduce the recidivism and the need for people to get into emergencies again. You know, sometimes people say, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we can find a way to prevent people from coming to the hospital with a psychiatric emergency? And I don't think that's what we're trying to do in the slightest. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. I think if people are having emergencies, they should go where the emergency care is. What we'd like to see happen, though, is to find ways to reduce the number of times people are in an emergency situation and by doing such things as, as offering alternatives earlier in, in the course of their illness and and options for them that they know that they can access uh, and they don't feel like the emergency room is their only uh, option. That's quite interesting and it sounds like very important work. It certainly is an initiative that will be worth keeping an eye on going forward. Now I have a final question about some of the reforms that have been proposed in recent years regarding mental health and some of the issues you've discussed today. Are there any developments that seem to you to be especially promising and what would you like to see in the future? I think there's been some, some really neat ideas that have been out there and, and they, they tend to be coming more from the community or state levels than uh, at a national level at this point. Um, one of the things I think is still unfortunate is there is probably far too much of thinking out there still that if somebody with psychiatric symptoms comes to the ER, we need to find them a hospital bed. In fact, most of the innovations that they're talking about on national levels, how can we create inpatient bed registries that emergency departments can access? 
which still, that would be a nice thing. It would be nice for them to know where the inpatient beds are available. But that being said, that shouldn't be where you're sending everybody. Uh, that's just going to perpetuate the problem. We need to change our whole mindset into let's treat emergency psychiatric problems as emergencies and get them the care they need right away and not just kick the can down the road and say, well, we just need more inpatient beds or better ways of finding the inpatient beds. I think one key thing people often don't realize, and unfortunately, I think a lot of times people even working in, in ERs might not quite realize, and that's how much the people having a psychiatric emergency are suffering and how urgent their situations really are. Uh, we, we, we tend to, uh, you know, notice when somebody's gushing with blood, for example, or, or they clearly have just had a, a serious car accident or wounded in some way, and, and obviously those people are going to be a priority in an emergency room. Somebody coming in who looks like they're having a heart attack is going to have a priority. Uh, but, you know, the, the psychiatric emergencies tend to get put to the back of the line because they're not quite as obvious to the casual observer how much people are suffering. Uh, so what we often try to do is encourage people to think of a psychiatric emergency as being equivalent to the worst headache you've ever had in your life. And you can just imagine if you had this absolute splitting headache and you went to the ER for help and, and said, I'm having this amazing, a terrible pain in my head. Can you please help me? And they'd say, oh, sure, just have a seat over here and, and somebody will be able to to connect you with something in just a few hours. And you'd be, no, no, I need help now. And that's actually what we're seeing with our, our, our psychiatric emergency patients. They, they do need help. Yeah, they're not maybe as completely as urgent as somebody gushing blood or having a heart attack, but they're, they're very urgent in their own way. And, and anytime we try to delay their care, we're putting them at risk. And they're also, also putting the other staff at risk because, as I said, sometimes symptoms can get worse. And if somebody's already got kind of a, a paranoia or, or, or agitation, they can become aggressive and violent because we shouldn't be, uh, you know, trying to uh, put them in the back hall without any interventions or treatment, but recognizing these are urgent situations that, that need our interventions, need our evaluations, and, and, and to not to uh, delay, but really try to get care in the most appropriate setting uh, as quickly as possible because we don't want anyone to suffer. That's what we went into the healing professions in the first place for is we want to, we want to help our, our patients to get well and do better and to recover. Uh, and, and sometimes that means prioritizing them and making sure that they get the help they need as quickly as possible. And that's what I'd like to see more of an emphasis on nationwide and by policymakers and lawgivers is a recognition of, of the urgency of psychiatric emergencies and how, unfortunately, um, you know, they've been kind of ignored and, and, and continue to be ignored even when we're talking about payers like Medicaid and Medicare who don't even really have good ways of reimbursing emergency psychiatric care in most parts of the country. Uh, it, you know, it, it leads to this very strange, ironic situation, which is the patient's with the greatest, most pressing, most emergent psychiatric need tend to be our most underserved. And that's something I'd really like to see us fix. And the good thing about it is it shouldn't be hard to fix at all because if we just had simple ways of reimbursing basic emergency psychiatry care, most hospitals and programs would want to give that because they're already seeing these patients 
and they're just not having a way to reimburse. So there's there's not uh, there's there's not a lot of emphasis on their part for trying to expand their programs because they they can't uh, get any money to expand those programs. But even if it was a a small reimbursement, that might be enough for a lot of uh, hospitals and programs to actually increase their emergency psychiatric services because the savings down the line are just enormous. Because for one thing, you would uh, you know if you're getting those people so that they're not boarding in the ER. There's $2,300 that you're saving the hospital from the get-go. So maybe if they have a little bit of money they can use to provide better services, they're going to have that huge cost avoidance, which is really nice. But also, if you imagine, if you have something like an empath unit and you're able to avoid 75% of patients that would have been hospitalized in a traditional setup, that means that you know a typical psychiatric hospitalization, let's say, might cost an insurer or Medicare or Medicaid $10,000. That would mean that for every three out of four patients we're seeing, we're going to save an insurer or Medicare or Medicaid $30,000 for every four patients we see. And maybe they they can let us have a little bit of those savings to pay for the program, and then they're going to save enormous sums of money. So any investment in emergency psychiatry is going to be paid off a hundredfold down the road, basically. Uh, and and as something that I would really hope that we get uh, much more attention paid by uh, the folks at uh, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, at the uh, National Institutes of Health, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Uh, the, the more they understand how much we can help people in crisis and how really cost-effective it is for the system, and you know, overall, it's the right thing to do. Doing, helping out people in a psychiatric emergency really is a win-win, win-win-win across the board. We're helping the whole mental health system. We're opening up ERs to have extra beds for the people there with non-psychiatric emergencies. We're reducing costs while delivering much more timely, appropriate, and compassionate care. So I, I think, like I said, it's a, it's a win across the board and something that I hope that People are, some people, the right people might even be listening now, and and we may be able to get some uh, more help on this in the future. Today, we've been joined by Dr. Scott Zeller, Vice President for Acute Psychiatry at Vituity and renowned expert in psychiatric emergencies. Dr. Zeller, thanks again for joining us today, and I hope to talk with you again soon. Me too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Relias Media, where we empower healthcare providers to improve patient care and outcomes. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast, where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications, such as ED Management, and obtain CME or CE credits.